It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 75 of the MMA Geek C-Level Podcast. Nick Braccia, Stan Drive, coming at you from the general northeast area of the United States. Nikolai, another win for you. We both did really well on our picks. It just kind of worked out that way for you. I think what ended up edging this event for you is that draw. You get half a point for a draw, and uh, you get zero points for a loss. Congratulations, buddy. We are now 15 of my wins to, is it nine of your wins or 10 of your wins? I thought, I thought... 10. I thought that I, I thought that you were at 14. You're at 15 now? I thought I was at 15. You know what? I may be mistaken, Nick. If we're really within I think four, it, I think it's I think it's 14, 10 and 5 now. I don't like this one little bit if that is the case, Nick. But congratulations either way, buddy. You need every win you can get. Very, very kind of you, Stan. I've <laughs> uh you know, over the over the last several months, I would say that my picking has been as clear-chested and dynamic as Joe Biden's, whereas yours looks a lot like Stephen Miller's lungs right now, <laughs> which is, you know, kind of this gooky, goopy, putrid. Uh, yeah, man, you've lost you've lost a little bit of your, your magic draft dust, and I'm really, uh, really closing in. Um, this card, you know, I'll tell you, I didn't, I didn't love this card. I did not think it was a super... Uh, high level event although there are a few things worth discussing on it first of all uh holly Holm did not do what you and i thought she would do which was uh use her her size and strength by the way it turns out irene aldana is looked bigger um but Holm certainly seemed stronger uh and we thought that Holm would fight this up against the fence like she did with rocky pennington in her her last fight and kind of grind out a win uh she didn't. <laughs> she threw uh, over 300 strikes, um, all you know, hitting all parts of Irene Aldana's body over and over again. She did whatever she wanted. Uh, really performed as a dynamic and diverse mixed martial artist. Looked easily six or seven years younger than her 38 or 39 years. Wow, you know, I'm excited for the next LA home fight, which is not those are not words in the last couple of years you've heard me say. Yeah, I don't know if I'm excited for the next Holly Holm fight, but I'm excited to see her performing this way at 38 years old. We all expected her to kind of throw strikes that are about three centimeters too short of Aldana's face and win a decision. That way, we expected her to hold Aldana up against that cage, possibly take her down and grind out a win. And she kind of did all of the above, but surprisingly, a lot of her kicks landed. Her takedowns were effective, and she was able to land some ground and pound from top position Probably her second best performance in her UFC career. Obviously, that Ronda Rousey win being the most impressive, where she just dominated the number one pound-for-pound girl at the time. But this was super impressive. At this point in her career, I mean, look, she loses to the very best in the world, and she generally beats prospects like this, and that's why you and I picked her. But the impressive fashion with which she did it is particularly surprising. And I think that Aldana... You know, she's got a lot of work to do. We expected that she may have hit a new stride coming off of that knockout win over Caitlin Barra, but that was not to be the case. She was just overwhelmed by Holly Holmes' well-rounded attack. You know, maybe we overrated that 
that knockout. I don't know. She did not look like she had any an- very similar to Rousey. Like Rou- Rousey again in that fight didn't really seem like she had any answers uh, to Holmes' movement, activity, and precision. Um, and nothing Rousey tried in that fight worked. At least Rousey tried a few things. Aldana really couldn't get, just she was deer in the headlights for five rounds. She really was. And even when she was chasing Holly home, Holly just, I mean, we've always known she has, I don't know if it's the best footwork, but it's effective, right? And that it keeps her out of danger for the most part. But this time, it, it seems like Holly almost turned in a Jan Blackwitz-like performance, Nick, in that she was really good on the counter. She had those sidekicks ready. She had those counter punches ready for when Aldana was going to wade in. And she was blitzing with those straight shots, and they were really effective and somehow kept her out of counter range of the solid boxer and Aldana. She just put everything together. And, you know, you and I spoke a little bit about how girls like Michelle Watterson, John Jones, um, people that train under Winkle John at Greg Jackson's, they tend to develop this very safe, risk-averse, low-power, kind of high-output style where they kind of stay at a distance and throw strikes and don't really make you think that you have a shot at knocking them out. Uh, in this matchup, I thought that home just put so much of it together. Super, super impressive performance by her. Yeah, the the key, the thing, the two words that we haven't mentioned are lateral and movements because that was, I mean, she was she never she never stuck around. She would she would land and she would she was she did not stop moving the entire fight. I don't know if you heard me mention footwork, Nick, but that is actually what that refers to. Well, you there's footwork and then there's lateral movement. Those are those are kind of different things, aren't they? In the case of Holly Holm, they're exactly the same. I don't think Holly Holm really has any intricate footwork, but she's consistently moving into the right direction, being a southpaw fighter, moving away from her opponent's right hand consistently. And she certainly knew to do that against Aldana, who's known for her right hand, even though she was able to get that knockout uh, with the left hook. Now, we got to talk about the co-main event, Carlos Felipe versus Jorgen DeCastro. You know what? I'm going to interrupt you for a second. I think first we should talk about Jermaine Durandamy versus Juliana Pena because it pairs up nicely with the home Aldana fight and is i mean a much higher level bout i couldn't agree with you more actually i'm surprised that that your jorgen de castro fight was the co-main event i'm there with you nikolai jermaine durandamy looked good at the very end of it it looked like the decision was going juliana pena's way penny was able to get you think so well yeah durandamy won the first round clearly pena won the second round yeah and and then in the third round with juliana penny getting top position I think a lot of folks thought, oh, this is going in that direction. And then right, right. Jermaine Durandamy shocked us with that guillotine choke. I mean, this woman has never gotten a submission in her entire career. And here she pulled it off against a girl that's known for her ground game, that's known for her ground pressure. And Juliana Penny now giving up her second submission, being kind of Second known- sub to... Two strikers, second. So I mean, I mean, it's hard to just call uh, Valentina Shevchenko a, a striker, but she's not. You know, no one's going into that fight worrying about getting armbarred or choked out as much as they're worried about getting their face punched in. Exactly. So she got thing. she's she's gotten subbed by two. She's gotten subbed by two, essentially by two strikers. Uh, well, I, I don't know if I'll call. I don't think it would be fair to call Valentina Shevchenko a striker. I agree that she prefers that, but she is excellent on the ground. She's well right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Jermaine Durand to me is. A, I mean, you're right. She's a striker. She's someone who in MMA has never even engaged in the ground game when given the choice. She prefers to strike. That's where she is head and shoulders above 
almost all of her opposition. And in this matchup, she showed a crafty, crafty guillotine. I think she was close to, I, th- I thought she was close to catching Pena something in the, uh, with something in the first round. So clearly she's developing that part of her game. And this girl is not a young lady, Nick. She is, I believe, what is she, 40 years old? No, she's 36 years old. She's actually a couple years younger than is Holly Holm. But man, was that an impressive performance, impressive submission finish. We do, I think, have to talk a little bit about how Juliana Pena, was she ever really deserving of the hype that she got after that winning that Ultimate Fighter season? She got wins over Shayna Baszler, Gina Mazzani, and Santa Morass on the season. These are not high-level opponents, especially at that time. I think Sarah Morass has improved some since then. And then she beat Jessica Riccosi, who's a 115-pounder in the finale. Milana Dudieva, who's not a high-level fighter. Jessica Aisha has a win over, and that's impressive. But that was back in 2015. Five years ago, yep. Yeah, where Jessica I wasn't the fighter she is now. Kat Zingano. It's a, it's a good win, but Kanzangano, I think she was in the middle of a losing streak because she uh, lost to Pena and then lost to Vera after that. It just seems like she never really earned the level of hype that she received. I still would contend that Jessica I, Kat Zingano, and Nico Montana are good girls to have on your resume. They're just not the elite, and she really isn't able to compete with the Valentina Shevchenkos, Jermaine Duranamis. We're going to assume Holly Holm would have a big advantage over her. And obviously the women's go to Amanda Nunes would whoop that ass. So, yeah, I'm not sure that she deserved it. I think her uh, inconsistency and injuries and the trouble she gets herself into stayed in the way. That's the thing. She's fought six times in five years. Yeah. If you're if you're a prospect, coming, you need to be, you know, you need to be fighting three or four times a year. Yeah, I'm there with you. It seemed to me like watching what her strengths are, seeing her in that fight with Jermaine Durandamy, you've seen a fighter who's who's really evolved uh, so much. And you look at what Juliana Pena's, Pena's strength was five years ago, back at the end where you could be kind of as one-dimensional as she is. And I just think she has not been active enough. She's not you know, approaching it the way that uh, Anil Magny you know, is or other people are who just take as many fights as they can get. And I just I think the division's kind of uh, passed her by, perhaps. Yeah, I could certainly see that being the case. I think she missed her kind of prospect window. And look, at the end of the day, the only two losses she has are to extremely successful fighters in the UFC who are, you know, who have both held or are holding titles. So you can't really hold all that much against Pena, who, again, looked good in moments of this fight and was able to take Durandamy down Durandamy down when even Amanda Nunes... Uh, Amanda Nunes was really the only one that was able to do that prior to this. So really solid performance on her part, um, on Durandamy's part, of course. Let's quickly talk about Carlos Felipe, who looked good. He pressured Jorgen DeCastro. I think the book is closed on Jorgen DeCastro. The man is really good for five minutes. He's really fast. He's explosive. After that, you can't really rely on him to have the kind of output that would that would allow him to win a high-level mixed martial arts bout. Carlos Felipe is a pretty good fighter, and his one UFC loss was a pretty competitive fight against the more experienced guy in Sergei Spivak. So I, I think we have a you know prospect emerging from this event on our hands and it's not the guy that walked in as the prospect yeah it uh i was digging i was digging him uh, he also has some fire like felipe <laughs> he's got some got some attitude he's fun to watch um you could you know he's got and he's gonna throw he's gonna he's gonna throw down as long as is you know as long as until his cardio gives out um so there's some fun fights at heavyweight for him they're not going to be the prettiest but i won't turn away or look at my phone when he's fighting that's the best I can say. Yeah, I think that's fair. 
Kyler Phillips styled on Cameron Elsie once again. The guy is extremely technical. I talked last week about how his two losses are to some pretty legit prospects, and they were two extremely close decisions that could have easily gone his way. He is now 8-1. and one. Uh, one of those losses, by the way, was on the Ultimate Fighter season is why it's not counted on his record. That was to eventual winner Brad Katona, and then he had that uh, loss to Victor Henry by split decision. Uh, Kyler Phillips is legit. He looked really good against the over. I mean, I don't know. Overhype maybe is not the right term. Cameron Elsie basically made his way up with a six-fight win streak by beating a bunch of really, really bad and inexperienced fighters. 0-0 and 1-6 are on his recent record, and Kyler Phillips is not that guy. He's quite the opposite. He has a, you know, going into this event, he had a 7-1 record on paper, right? It's not, like, super impressive. It's, like, fine. And then he walks in there and just styles on, on Cameron Elsie, who's been feasting on these cans. So really good performance by him. Dusko Todorovic did what we expected against Daquan Townsend, just roughed him up, just pressure and attrition. The man is just, he's a wild man. Like, even when he is not the better striker, and he can't get takedowns, Nick, he will just pummel you and keep putting pressure on you, keep landing strikes until you don't want to be in there with him anymore. Really good stuff by him. You got anything on those two guys, Phillips and Todorovic? Uh, yeah, <laughs> what I got to say is that Daquan Townsend has a, has, has a beard on him. Because, <laughs> man, oh, yeah. he, ate, he ate some shots and seemed to be lucid. But yeah, he took a you know he took a beating. Yeah, you know, Kyler Phillips is exciting. We'll see. Really excited to see Desko Todorovic on uh, at 185 again. Uh, yeah, he's awesome. He just he looks like Stefan Struve's like jacked like more technical younger brother. Uh, maybe more technical is not the right term. <laughs> it's, it's more more effective. Yeah. Uh, I'm there with you. But uh, looking at you know Carlos Condit Court McGee was a fine like veteran veterans fight. Condit you know he 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 landed that hook. Um, I think it was a hook uh, at the end of the first round, broke Court McGee's nose, and that that kind of uh, shifted the complexion of of the fight, uh, put Condit in the drivers in the driver's seat. McGee didn't really pressure or go for takedowns the way I thought he would. I really thought he would be trying to work his takedown game, um, but still, it was it was fine, you know, fine fight to watch. I thought it was a great performance by Condit, like considering where he's been and he was on a five fight losing streak and you know kind of getting roughed up by some guys getting finished by multiple opponents and that's not something Carlos Condit had ever been known for right so at even at 36 right he's not truly that far past his prime so that he should be looking this way I know he's taking some damage in his career but he's been looking horrible lately and man he came back here he looked pretty good man he kind of roughed up Court McGee and and you're right Court McGee didn't do what he needed to do to win this fight he needed to pressure he needed to make Carlos Condit uncomfortable he needed to make him feel like he's suffocating like he like he just doesn't want to be here anymore and that's worked for guys in the past Court McGee didn't do that he stayed at range against the better kickboxer and naturally Condit took advantage yeah if you're a grinder like I'm not sure I don't know what Condit was doing that put that put him off of that I couldn't figure it out but uh anyway you know it was you know they, they listen they were they both seem happy to be there Court McGee didn't look terrible um and uh you know we'll see we'll see what's next for Condit I think there's a couple of interesting fights uh, potentially for him. Nick, as a matter of fact, I do I do want to talk about that one a little bit. I think that Carlos Condit is at a point in his career, much like Donald Cerrone, much like Court McGee. These guys are veterans. They can't really compete with modern-day serious prospects. 
How about we have these guys keep facing each other? These are competitive, interesting matchups. Absolutely. I know. And people know them. People know exactly. them and will tune in for them. They're, per- yeah. they're perfect co-main event. They're perfect co-main events. They're attraction fights. Speaking of co-main event, Nick, I was listening to the co-main event podcast. Uh, ben Folks and Chad Dundas, really good podcast. Very funny. Uh, two of the smartest MMA journalists, I think, in the game. And they were talking about, they got this listener email talking about how there should be a tournament with these kind of older guys, with there being a huge prize at the end. Um, I think that would be such a great idea. I think it would create some buzz around these names, right? These names that we're interested in. And then the finale of that tournament, let's say we end up with a Carlos Condit versus Donald Cerrone. That could headline a pay-per-view with both of those guys going in uh, to that finale with two or three wins behind them, right, in the tournament. That could be like a pay-per-view event. And these guys could, I don't know, hopefully maybe make a million fucking dollars a piece for for that kind of thing. I just feel like a tournament would create some buzz. These are known names. There would be a lot of interest and there would be competitive fights. And we could see which one of these guys has a little bit more left in the gas tank than the rest. I just feel like Dana White doesn't believe in tournaments just for regular MMA rankings, but this could be such an interesting way to handle that. Yeah, I agree. I think that'd be fun. You might even get some people out of out of retirement. Maybe Matt Sarah will lay off the pasta for a few months. <laughs> Matt Sarah couldn't pass a USADA test if his life depended on it at this point. He's he's talked about how he's been on uh, steroids and that kind of thing for a while in order to just. Oh, I thought he was. Just, I, I thought he would just test positive for ragu. Uh, that uh, too. All right, I would imagine that too. Let's, uh, yeah. Let's zip through the rest of this card because we got 13 fights to talk about uh, on the other. Uh, Charles uh, Jourdain, uh, uh, I don't know if he necessarily took uh, Josh uh, uh, Kulabau too lightly, but the odds, you know, heavily, heavily favor Jourdain. And Kulabau didn't get the memo. No, he did he not. Was, he, he, he was there. He looked great. He fought hard. He's got he's deceptively strong uh, and has more pop than you would think looking at the guy. And uh, I'm a, yeah, like I was, I was just really, I was really impressed with him. I, I think that Jordan, I know he fights, he fights flashy, and he leads with flying knees and all sorts of stuff. And I thought that the fight was there for for him to win, but he just kept, he he just fights. Uh, his style so is so risky. I mean, he ends up in bad positions. He ends up uh, leaving himself. You know, open for a shot. He ha- he'll, he. I think in one in the case where he got, uh, where he got really caught and his nose broken. I believe he. I think he was coming out of a spin or a spinning move, and like so, he had had his back turned and didn't see the shot coming from Kulabau. He just uh, he fights the way he's going to fight, and Kulabau was ready and a little bit, a little bit more disciplined. The one mistake he made is on his. Uh, you know he would go he would go in on these entries and almost go a little bit too low and Jordan would kind of like push him down and Kulabau would end up sort of underneath him, uh, but not like taken down but just like Jordan was in was in control, um, and that cost you know that probably cost Kulabau the fight because uh, when they were sep- when when they had more space between them and when they were you know standing up, uh, Kulabau was doing just fine. Yeah, I thought Kulabau looked really good. I spoke last week about how Kulabau is a much better fighter than his UFC performance thus far shows. He faced Jalen Turner one weight division up on a few days' notice, who's a way bigger man, who's super dangerous, who had the conditioning advantage because of the short-notice nature of the bout, and he didn't look good, let's face it, like who would in that situation, right? He came in here in his natural weight division against a prospect, looked really good, fought to a draw. Um, You were talking about how it cost him the fight. I I think that, I, I don't know, like the draw, there's a good argument to be made for it. I think it really could have gone either way, but 
Cooley Battle looked really good, and Charles Dordain underperformed. I talked last week about how the odds on this one are lopsided, and that's kind of how it worked out. Really, really good performance by Cooley Battle. Now we can look look forward to him as a legitimate prospect at 145 pounds. We had uh, Nasardin Imavov, who picked up a unanimous decision win over Jordan Williams. Really, really exciting fight. You and I both saw Imavov coming. He was an underdog. I still do not understand why. I realized he got tagged in the first round. Actually, uh, first it was a big headbutt that hurt uh, Imavov, and then uh, I believe it was a right hand by Jordan Williams in the first round that rocked him a little bit later in that round. But man, Imavov won every other moment, I think, of the fight outside of those two. And he looked really good, really technical guy. He's hittable, and his chin is a little bit of a concern as he goes on with his 185-pound career, but really good pickup by the UFC on short notice, and I'm very excited about watching him off compete. He was your number two pick, a good one on that, Nick. Loma Luke Bume looked really good against Junior Frey, as I expected. I uh, recommend it. By the way, my betting, uh, I believe five of the six fighters that I recommended bets on ended up coming through and looking really good. Another big profit week. We're going to get into it in the third segment. But Loma Luke Bume was one of the opportunities that I saw on this card. I can't believe she was just a slight favorite over Junior Frey, who's at this point four and five in her last nine fights. She is a mediocre fighter, and she really doesn't belong in the UFC. Uh, Casey Kenny picked up a, a clean, beautiful win over Haley Alatang completely dominated looked so crisp and smooth and I talked about how he's going to style on Alatang and that's exactly what he did and then Luigi Verdarmani uh, got that first round TKO over Jessen Ayari Luigi's known as a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt but looked really good in smashing Ayari Nikolai what are your thoughts on those fights I mean Kenny looked awesome uh, Jin Yufrey didn't I don't know why she didn't go try to take down uh, Luma Lukbunme uh, immediately um you know, the takedown, I think, was there. She showed in the third round that it wasn't that hard, and she just spent the first two rounds uh, getting her face elbowed and punched in. I don't know what was going on in her head. Um, I think, for one uh, thing, she, just Imavov- quickly, she's a mediocre fighter, and also, like, even when she got the takedown, she held on but did zero damage and then ended up losing that round because Luma Lugbumi was yep. able to get up. So you make a good point. It should have been part of the strategy, but I think her MMA IQ is just, you know, one of her many issues. Yeah, I just look look been me, you know, twenty four years old, limited, fairly limited MMA experience, um, very small for the uh, for the weight class, but an amazing striker. I'm curious. I'm just curious to see what she can do um, at, at one fifteen because she's certainly talented, but she's undersized and she's still coming primarily from one discipline. Uh, so we'll we'll see. But I'm definitely. Uh, I'll tell you what. She's not. She's not boring. No, not at all. Um, and I will say quickly, you know, if wor- you are uh, undersized, a pressure game. If you have the skills for it, is the right move for you if you have bigger opponents in front of you closing that distance and making it a war of attrition can be effective yep Uh, i mean what she's going to run into i think the danger in that division is is really strong women with like michelle waterson kind of builds uh who can just you know level change and power double and have the have the wrestling and jujitsu skills to keep her there so i wonder what her ceiling is going to be i think training Um, at tiger muay thai she has a she has a pretty good ceiling and i think she's going to she's going to continue to improve her game i think in a in two fights she's going to be very hard to take down is my opinion cool uh, Jordan Williams, I worry about his gas take. I don't know if that's going to be connect if that's going to be connected to um, his status as a type one diabetic or not. But he's sure. I mean, he, he looked good until once he got tired. Man, he was tired. Uh, not too much to say about about the intro. I thought Ari was going to win. I expected him to avoid uh, Luigi's jujitsu game. Uh, turns out I got that one completely friggin' backwards. But overall, I won the card. Another victory for me as I climbed the mountain and am poised to take over in Q4. By the way, Nick, you, you spoke earlier in this segment about how you were like the Joe Biden. First of all, 
I don't know if that's the ideal standard set for anyone. Second, uh, Joe Biden is in a big lead, Nikolai, and Donald Trump is tr- working really hard to catch up. I actually rather think that the roles are the other way in this one. I was That's not what I was talking about. I was talking about, was talking about the lungs, the, lo- the clear and healthy lungs of Joe Biden versus uh, the fetid, virulent, uh, virus-filled uh, lungs of, of scumbag Stephen Miller. Fair enough. Um, but I, so I will say quickly, I, I, I wish for you that uh, you are about as healthy as Joe Biden in that case. Let's take a yeah. break. Come back and I've get got, into I've got the, this weekend's UFC. I've got the night. <laughs> I've got the heart and brain, the heart and brain of a seventy-seven. Oh yeah! Oh, All yeah. right. <laughs> Back on the MMA Geeks podcast, we're going to break down UFC Fight Night. Marlon Marais versus Corey Sanhagen. It's an exciting main event, Nick. We're going to get into it once the draft gets there. For everyone that doesn't know, the way it works is we each take turns picking fighters on the upcoming card. We explain our picks, and whoever ends up with the highest number of winning fighters at the end of Saturday night wins the week. I currently have 14 wins to Nick's 10. He is quickly catching up. Nikolai, my first pick is going to be Tom Aspinall to beat Alan God the Black Samurai. Damn it. Badeau. It's my first friggin' fight. Okay, fine. I, I'm glad you feel uh. that way. Alan Badeau is a creative striker with little technique, ground game, or like risk aversion. He's 6'3", but isn't really able to keep his range as his clinch and takedown defense aren't great. Aspinall is a power puncher. He's a pretty good ground game overall. He is the bigger man and didn't take this on short notice. He's 6'5", and he's thicker with uh, Budo being 6'3". So I like Aspinall to get a first-round KO, uh, but he hasn't fought a, won a fight that went past the first round. So I'd say it's possible that Budo catches a spinning back elbow late if he survives the first five minutes. But he took the fight on nine days' notice, so I feel like that kind of takes away a lot of that advantage. I would quickly say Budo trains with the likes of Francis Ngannou and Cyril Gunn. Yeah, but Tom Aspinall trains with the likes of Tyson Fury. Ooh. Yeah, uh, I mean, I just think Aspinall does everything better. He's got great hands, as we saw in his in his last fight. He also is really good on the ground, uh, tight jiu-jitsu game. I just, yeah, at this size, anything can happen, but Aspinall's the heavy favorite. There with you, bud. What's your next um, pick? That was, that was going to be my first pick, so you really tied, tied my shoelaces together there. Um Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Believe in I'm, yourself, Nick. Yeah. I'm gonna go with uh Big Ben Rothwell over Marcin Tabura. Uh, as I just think that Ben Rothwell does everything Tabura does better, is crafty, figures out ways to win against heavyweights of this caliber, and uh really shouldn't have too much problem uh with a with a guy who hasn't uh you know, who ha- who hasn't looked good against uh, crafty and accomplished heavyweights. Yeah, both Tybura and Rothwell turned their careers around recently with two wins in a row each after going on kind of a bad losing streak leading up to that. Ben looked good in his last fight against OSP, but he was hurt a couple of times, and it was only five months ago, so I have concer- some concerns there. At the very end of the fight, maybe after the bell, OSP landed a big shot where Ben actually ended the fight on his butt, even though he won the decision. Tabura didn't take much damage in his last fight, but he'd been KO'd three times between 2018 and 2019. So I'll go with Ben Rothwell since he usually... Go ahead. 
I was going to remember uh, Marcin Tabura's last fight, I believe, was against a, a light heavyweight guy moving up. Yeah, on short notice, exactly. Who was like, yeah. who, on short notice, who looked, who, who didn't, who looked like not very big in there. No, not only not very big, um, but he just like, on, he just had no confidence in throwing anything, I think, because of the lack of gas tank, because of the short notice. I'll go with Rothwell since he usually loses to faster fighters, and Tabura has kind of average speed. Plus, Tabura doesn't hit hard enough to take advantage of Rothwell coming off of a tough fight. There's a risk of Tabura getting takedowns his, since his control is legit, but I'll trust in Rothwell's takedown defense since he hasn't been taken down in over seven years. So I am there with you, buddy. This pick, however, was way lower on my list. I think that Tabura has shown recently that he's more capable than we give him credit for. So I, I think Ben Rothwell kind of being inconsistent lately, it, it's a risky one this high up. My next pick, Nick, is going to be Tagir Ilanbekov to beat Bruno Silva. Bruno Silva trains with Henry Cejudo. He's a BJJ black belt with pretty good striking. His UFC career so far was against two very serious prospects, one of them at 135 pounds. Tagir is a training partner of Khabib Nurmagomedov. He actually lost uh, his coach when Khabib lost his dad, so that's kind of part of the reason uh, his UFC debut was postponed. He's solid everywhere and should be able to control the stand-up and stay on top with grounded. He's not he's not like super flashy, but he has solid fundamentals, whether it be his jab, whether it be his takedowns, his ground and pound. Uh, so I like Tagir Ulambeko off to pick up the win but i will say i think the odds are a little bit too wide apart on this one wait you're I, I, you're crazy that you're picking this this guy bruno silva is a guy that fought to a draw with casey kenny not that long ago yeah but he's been zero and two in the ufc and it just seems like when times get really really tough he doesn't quite have yeah. either the conditioning or the will to just keep pushing through anything and everything and i, I just feel like to gear being you know training with some high level people training under abdul Nurmagomedov. um you know he's seen as a very serious prospect. I think I think Bruno Silva is zero two in the UFC so far for good reason. Yeah, that. But we've also there have been times when based on camps, particularly guys who are coming out of that part of the world, um, including members of Khabib's own family, who we've we've overrated a bit because of their relations or where they train. True. Well, I just think I agree. I probably was going to make the same pick as you, but much later, and I think the odds are insane. Yeah, I'm, I'm there with you on the odds uh, being crazy. Um, for my next pick, uh, you'll probably think I'm also picking this one way early, but I'm going to do it anyway. Do it. I'm going to pick uh, the now Mark Henry trained Edson Barbosa to defeat Mr. Finland. Uh, Mr. Finland, uh, whose name, who, oh my God, I'm not looking at his name right now, only his last name, Makwan. Makwan Amarkani. <laughs> um, I think it's going to be, I think, listen, I think this is a great co main event. Um, it's not a gimme for Barbosa, but like he's got. He has the all he has. To, he's very good at staying on his feet. I think he's got good takedown defense. He's got good size at 145. Uh, he's super strong, and he's going to make Amerikani pay. I think he's going to go after that leg uh, very, very early. Um, and I think that he's just. I think he's just a better striker. I think he's going to do damage to the body. I think he's going to do damage to the legs. Uh, and I, I think uh, Amerikani is going to leave the cage uh, looking. Uh, a little less handsome, and Mr. Finland's a good-looking cat. So I think, uh, I think, I think this is. I don't want to say a get-right fight because I think Barboza deserved the victory against uh, Dan Iga, a fighter who you know who I also like. It's also arguable he deserved the the victory against uh, Paul Felder. Um, and I think that this is, I think he's. I think Edson Barboza is going to make a statement in this fight. Yeah, there's been some talk about Barboza considering retirement. He asked for a release from the UFC after his last bout. So I have some concerns about Barboza here. We all know he's a 
fast, explosive striker, known more for his kicks than anything. Really good takedown defense, unless it's against like really high-level wrestlers like Kevin Lee and Khabib. Um, he's susceptible to a pressure style, and he can be mentally broken and physically exhausted or dominated. I'm not sure that he's like super durable, right? But it takes an elite fighter to dominate him. Yeah, he's not super durable. But yeah, yeah. Uh, he's making his second appearance at 145 pounds after, like you said, losing a controversial split decision to Dan Ige. Trains with the American Top Team, so we know that you know as far as that's concerned, his coaching, his his training partners are as elite as it gets. Maquan has a Greco-Roman wrestling background, so his Takedowns are good. He's got solid submissions, particularly his anaconda choke, uh, with which he finished his last two wins. His striking is kind of stuck in first gear for years. Um, he's, you know, he's an okay southpaw. He's explosive and likes to throw kind of flying knees and just kind of unexpected stuff, which can be effective for him. But after about five minutes, if he can't take an opponent down and dominate him by then, he's probably in trouble. He's 6-2 in the UFC, but his wins are over guys that don't belong in the UFC. His losses are to his only two quali- like quality opponents in the UFC. To his credit, he left John Cavanaugh's SPG Ireland for another gym that I've never heard of, which I naturally assume is better than SPG Ireland, so I, I, I think that's probably an improvement <laughs> for him. Barboza is weak against pressure fighters, but Maquan doesn't have the gas tank to be a consistent pressure fighter, especially on a couple of weeks' notice. He actually took this on short notice. He might get an early takedown and have a good first round, but then he'll be tired if he doesn't finish Barboza. It's possible that he catches him in that anaconda, but I'm not going to bet on it. Uh, he's mediocre on the feet, uh, and Maquan is a good wrestler, but his takedown rate is 36%, with Barboza's takedown defense being 80%. So even if Maquan has a good first round, Barboza should be able to survive it and dominate from the second round on, especially if he hits Maquan's body early and often, and and I think that's something that ATT will kind of instill in him. But a flash knockout or anaconda choke in the first round by Maquan is definitely not out of the question here. Uh, definitely further down my list, but I do agree with the Edson Barboza pick. My next pick, Nick, is going to be in the Joaquin Buckley versus Impa Kasagawe matchup. Yes. I, I I like Buckley. I think he's got like some decent things to his game. Um, Impa should tough his way through early strikes to take over as the fight progresses. Buckley used to fight at 170 pounds, so he'll be the smaller man in this matchup. Plus, he's coming off of a knockout loss against Kevin Holland. Nick, just two months ago. That's insane to me. I like Impa to kind of weather the the, the early storm, possibly, if Buckley has that mentally in him, and then get uh, either his first UFC KO or a clear-cut decision win over Joaquin Buckley. Buckley. Joaquin Buckley. God damn it, I should really pronounce that better. Yeah, I have the, I have the same. I, I really like Impa uh, Kasangane. Uh, Buckley, you know, that fight against Kevin Holland, like, you know, A for, a for effort. Um, I also, you know, it's he's got a really interesting body type for for MMA with the, with his giant arms. But Impa's fighting out of Jimmo, where he's training with Brian Barberina. Like, I just uh, I li- I like him. I like his upside. I think he has a much much higher upside. I think he should be able to win this fight. Although there's a chance that Buckley lands one of those bombs. Exactly. Yeah, um, also, Bu- Buckley Buckley might Buckley also might fight in a little more a little more restrained than he did last time. He was coming in at such uh, short notice against uh, uh, against a monster, big you know big big tall heavier guy I believe than Impa is in, in Holland. Um, 
So yeah, there's a certain uh, intangible yeah, quality done. about Impa that where like if you hit him clean, if you hit him hard, he is the last guy to like start mentally breaking or start thinking about like oh man that hurt I don't want to be here. He just gets angrier and not angrier in that he's acting upset, but he just he just continues to push and he just will his his way through those moments and that is rare man in any fighter. So I do think Impa has something special in him. Uh, like he doesn't always look great in the first round, but. His will will take over by that second round, even if you are somehow the better fighter than him. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of Impa Kasagawa's uh, Kasaganai's. Uh, I like what he's done in the UFC thus far. Um, what's your next pick, buddy? My pick. Uh, I'm gonna go main event, man. I'm gonna pick the main event. I'm gonna pick Melvin Morais to defeat Corey Sandhagen. Um, I you know I like both of these guys a lot. I like saying it. I just think that you know Nick, you usually have uh, trouble with Brazilian last names, but it's not Melvin. It's Marlon Morais. Oh my God! I knew I was gonna do that. Mar- <laughs> Go ahead, buddy. Marvin. Sorry. Mar- oh my God! It's Marlin, not Marvin. Marlin. Yep. Jesus. <laughs> no, I told you. I told you I wasn't. I told you I was feeling off today. No worries. Uh, I think Marlin. I just Marlin. Marlin Marais. I think the pressure. Like, listen, Sen Hagen's fought and and beat via decision guys before, like Lineker. Um, he's been in there with some top guys. I don't know that if he. I don't know that he. Has faced a uh, a physical, multi-talented uh, blitzing force like like Marlon Moraes, who's going to be, I think, going to be very aggressive early. He's going to kick those legs. He's going to work the body. I think, uh, despite what I believe is a reach disadvantage, I think he's going to get it. He's going to get his hands in there. Like Sanhagen's in for a world of hurt in the first round. Now, if he can get. If Sanhagen can survive the first couple of rounds, my perspective on this fight uh, might change. Uh, Marais didn't show, you know, in the Cejudo fight that he exactly knows how to roll with it when when things aren't going his way. I just have a hard time seeing Sanhagen uh, getting out of the first two rounds. I think uh, I think Marais is going to land early and often, and that he's going to he's going to find that chin. Yeah, I disagree with you on this pick, but I do get where you're coming from. Sanhagen is five inches taller with a three-inch reach advantage. Marais has more than double the experience, especially in a five-round fight. Um, but Marais slows down big time after about five to seven minutes, and Sanhagen keeps on like going at the exact same pace he does in the first minute as he does in the last minute of a, of a three-round bout, right? Sanhagen lands double the number of strikes per minute and is more accurate, landing 48% of his strikes to Marais's 39%. Sanhagen only absorbs slightly more strikes per minute than does Marais. Granted, Marais has been fighting extremely high level of competition for a while now, right? Their defense is generally the same. Sanhagen lands 1.2 takedowns per 15 minutes, but Marais has excellent takedown defense at 80%. Marais has serious power early, but Sanhagen has a solid chin. Marais doesn't like pressure, and Sanhagen is a pressure fighter. Marais doesn't have a great gas tank, and Sanhagen does seem to have a great gas tank, even though we haven't seen him go five rounds. Marais is fast and dangerous early, but that doesn't last long. I like Sanhagen by either a late stoppage or a decision. I think that the first two rounds will be competitive with either guy possibly winning either round, since Marais will be coached to control his energy expenditure, and then and, and and by that I mean that Marais will pace himself more, which will allow him to win, you know, possibly the first two rounds. But then after that, Sanhagen will start to distance himself with strikes landed. There's a chance that Sanhagen gets caught in the first couple of minutes, like you said, but I don't see a reason to question his chin or his heart. Um 
he he might not be as explosive or as athletic as 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 um, as Marais, but I, I just feel like his consistency and the fact that he's going to be there in Marais's face in that third and fourth round is what's going to win it for him. But of course, you're expecting uh, Marais to finish before that. I am. I just listen. He's fought. He's fought good fighters. I don't think that Sanhagen has fought anyone with the combination of speed and power that that Marais has. Yeah, I think, I think you're uh, right about that. I yeah. think it's rare for anyone to face an opponent like that. Yeah, and I think I think the one that hurts you is the one that you don't see coming. I think I think Sanhagen's going to get put on his. Uh, I think he's going to get put on his butt, and he's been knocked down in other fights. And other guys have let him back into the fight. I don't think that Marlon Moraes is the guy that lets you back into the fight. I do hear that, and Sagan, Sanhagen will certainly make himself available to be hit. Um, he he just constantly pushes forward, right? He's not trying to stay out of range for the first five minutes against a dangerous opponent. So I definitely hear where you're coming from. And Marais looked a little better as far as cardio in his fight against Jose Aldo in that third round. He ended up winning it, and that's kind of what clinched him the victory. So I, I definitely hear where you're coming from. Um, my next picnic is going to be in the Tracy Cortez versus Stephanie Egger matchup. Cortez is a solid pressure wrestler with good striking. Egger is a judoka who has a win over Rousey, actually, in that sport. Eggers is taking this on short notice, and her striking is not high level enough for the UFC, in my opinion. So I favor Cortez to show off some striking before incorporating some takedowns for a clear-cut decision win here. Interesting. Um, let me make a note of that. I had this one, you know, I mean, I probably would have picked it soon. Um, I like I like Cortez. I'm not convinced that her striking's all that good. Um, she seems to me like a sort of meat and potatoes wrestle boxer, but a very, but very good top control and good takedowns. I think it depends where this fight takes place. If if Cortez, um, you know, goes low, shoots her double and is able to, you know, get on top, stay inside control, work some ground and pound. I think she can grind this fight out. If this fight ends up against the cage, I think she can get, you know, I think she could get flipped on her head and submitted like Stephanie Eggers, uh, no joke. And I just I think Cortez has to stay low and get those get those takedowns or else she could find herself um, in some trouble. Eggers also very long. You know, uh, very long. I don't expect her striking to be great, but she's got range. And I just I just don't agree with you that Cortez is I, – I think her wrestling is two or three notches above her striking at least. Oh, I definitely agree with you there, but she has pretty good striking. I didn't say that it's excellent or high level. I just feel like it's notably better than Eggers. And worst case, I figure if they're wrestling in judo kind of, uh, kind of keeps them both standing, that, that gives Cortez the edge. And I'm going to give Probably, Cortez the yeah. edge in the wrestling department too because I, I, I tend to feel like unless you're an extremely high-level judoka against a mid-level wrestler, uh, wrestling tends to have the edge in uh, MMA history. Yeah, ask, uh, ask Sarah McMahon. Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I was going to pick Cortez also. I just think it's a, I think this one could be tricky. It's a dangerous fight. I hear that. Um, uh, next, next up, I'm going to go with... Um, Rodrigo Nascimento over Chris Dawkins. Uh, I liked Chris Dawkins in his last fight. I picked him in that one. Rodrigo's a big, big dude with really, really good jujitsu. I feel like at some point he's going to get, um, you know, he's he's going to get Dawkins uh, to the ground and most likely get a choke or an armbar. Yeah, I I actually think the odds are way too lopsided in this matchup. To be honest with you. I just feel like Rodrigo Nascimento, he's like a hunter. I like his style. I, I like the way that he kind of pushes forward and closes that distance and and makes you fear him right before he gets that takedown and is able to implement his ground game. Dukas has serious power and speed for about five minutes, right? But that five minutes is more often than not enough for him to score a big knockout. Um, 
Rodrigo is not as explosive, but he's, he has a pressure kind of hunter, salt emissions for heavy, heavyweight MMA, and he trains with ATT. There's a good chance that Dukas lands a bomb on the first, but I'm going with the more well-rounded, well-conditioned Rodrigo to get the submission win in the second round. So I am there with you, but I, I just feel like the odds are oddly far apart here considering Dukas's speed and power, at least early on. Um, my yep. next picnic is going to be in the Tony Kelly versus Al-Qaisi matchup. I realize that like Tony's a headstrong, talented striker, right? He's not super fast, but a solid boxing, clinch knees and body kicks. Excellent cardio. He's been five rounds before, and even if he's tired, he doesn't stop trying. Alkisi has good takedowns, decent power in his punches, and I think a good guillotine, if I remember correctly, but he should be outgunned here. I have concerns about Kelly giving up takedowns but going for guillotines, but he doesn't stay down for long, and he had proper notice for this fight, unlike his UFC debut, so he should be able to dole out some damage on his way to a decision win, especially considering Alkisi's UFC debut, which I think was against a lower-level fighter. Against Rivera, yeah, Kesey looked good. So you're picking, uh, you're picking uh, Tony Kelly. Uh, I was, I was also. Though I really like Alia Casey. Yep, I feel that. Um, oh boy, so we got a couple of picks left, and they're all interesting. There's some good fighters here, some unknowns. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, the South African kickboxer Adrikus Duplessis, if I'm saying that correctly, against Marcus Perez. Um, could be a dangerous pick uh, as we're talking about a guy making his, his UFC uh, debut really, uh, you know, K one style uh, and lots of success there. Um, but has picked up also a couple of wins, MMA wins over the last couple of years via guillotine. Um, seems like a prospect that a lot of people are excited about. Um, and he's up against Perez who had a, a his uh, fight canceled recently against Rodolfo uh, Vieira. Oh, and he also had a, that fight canceled versus Eric Spicely. That was the one that got canceled at the last minute. Um, and that was, you know, before that was his loss against Wellington Turk. He hasn't, uh, he hasn't really had much of a good, uh, much of a good UFC run. I mean, he does have a win a few years back in LFA against Ian Heinish, uh, which is nothing, you know, which is nothing to sneeze at. Um, but I have a, I have a feeling he's going to get uh, styled on from a striking perspective. Uh, in this fight against the South African. Yeah, I think the first round will be pretty competitive. Perez has, like, he's at least very good everywhere, and I'd say he has very, very good submissions, but he tends to kind of slow down and get tired, and that's what allows some of these guys to take over against him. He's got wins over Anthony Hernandez and Ian Heinich, which is super impressive, but his losses are to Wellington Thurman, Andrew Sanchez, and Eric Anders. They're not exactly, you know, the elite of the elite, although Wellington Thurman, in my opinion, is a good prospect, and Sanchez is, is kind of back in that prospect category. Um, Plessy is he's got 10 wins by submission he's got 30 kickboxing bouts with 30 finishes right he's never been to a decision in his entire MMA career uh, kind of made his name on the Polish scene even though he's South African Good, good overall standing, but pushes forward with blitzes with his chin up. Kind of like Blackowicz against Thiago Santos. Recently moved up to 185 after a rough string of weight cuts down to 170. And he took this fight on two weeks' notice, which is kind of where my concern comes in. I'm fearing Plessy in this one as well. He has as much experience as someone could have outside the UFC. He may not have a lot of third-round experience, but Perez slows down as well. My big concern is the short-notice nature, which is, in my opinion, what makes this a pick But we're pretty far down the list, so it makes sense why he'd make the pick now, Nick. My next pick is going to be in the Yusuf Zalal versus Ilya Topurio matchup. Yeah, um, interesting fight. It really is. I expect this one to be super, super fun to watch. Uh, 
Tapuri is a solid submission artist, but he's taking this fight on nine days notice against Alal, who's not only UFC tested, but had a full training camp. Uh, Tapuri is a finisher, so I wouldn't be shocked if he can pull this off. He's coming off a knockout win, actually. But Zalal has been my guy since his UFC debut, so I'm going to pick him in this one. I think he's got less finishing potential, but I, I just think he's overall smoother. We'll have the conditioning edge because of the short notice nature of the bout. Uh, and I think he's just really, really solid everywhere. Yeah, I think this is a great challenge for Salal. I love him. He's a, He's got all the makeup of a star, really charming interview, super exciting to watch. Um, you know, it might be easy to overrate him following his last fight because he was definitely fighting a regional New England fighter. Yep. Uh, he landed a great head kick. He put him in all sorts of subs. Um, he just treated him like a, you know, like a sparring partner or, uh, you know, kind of a grappling dummy. Yep. Uh, both of those, both of those things. Um, so I, this is, you know, Tapuria is, it's, I don't know what, I don't know what's going to happen here. It's a great, it's a great challenge for Zalal. We're going to learn a lot about him. Who are you edging um, toward Nick? I'm edging towards Zalal. Got it. But it's very, it's, you know, very, not very confident. Yeah, I heard that. Um, uh, the next pick, there's three fights left to pick here. I'm only seeing uh, I'm two, go, Nikolai. Am I missing something? Chik- uh, you might be right. We've got Breeze and, oh yeah, Breeze and Chikadze. That's, that's right. Yeah, that's it. Those two fights. Yep. But, um, so I'm going to go – I'm actually going to pick um, – got to figure out Morales' first name here because I just have him down Omar. as – Omar. Mor- I'm going to pick Omar Morales to defeat uh, Giga Chikadze. I love Giga Chikadze. I think he's really fun to watch, but he's a very frustrating fighter to be a fan of um, because, you know – People come over from other disciplines like kickboxing and particularly with kickboxers sometimes they get kind of frozen. They point fight. They don't know how to – they do really well when someone's, sta- when someone's standing in front of them or if it's a straight-up kickboxing match. And Omar Morales is going to be going at him. Um, and I don't think he's going to – he's not going to stand there and just like take shots or get engage in a point fighting bout. So I have a feel like Chikatsi seems to have a tough time pulling the trigger if people uh, don't engage him completely on his terms. And I don't think Omar Morales is going to do anything on his terms. So I think I think Chikatsi will have some success. But I think overall that Morales is going to make this a very a very tough fight for him. And Chikatsi has ended up uh, winning some split decisions that were much closer fights than they should have been. I think this is the fight where Chikatsi probably loses a fight that he shouldn't have. Yeah, I, I'm there with you on the pick, but by a super close margin. Giga's undefeated at 3-0 oh, yeah. Morales. Oh, I mean, obviously a very close margin if, yeah. it's, our, if it's my last Definitely, pick. definitely. Giga's 3-0 in the UFC. Morales is 2-0. They're similar in height. Six feet for Giga, 5-11 for Morales. Omar trains with Sanford MMA under Henry Hooft. High-level camp. Giga trains at Kings MMA under Rafael Cordero, another high-level camp. Omar Morales is the first live opponent of Giga's UFC career. I think Morales has what it takes to at least compete standing and score some takedowns on his way to a decision win. I I just feel like given how competitive some of Giga's fights have been standing, um, I I think that Morales certainly has the capability to land some bombs. But Giga is the more decorated kickboxer, so he may have the edge on the feet and avoid most takedowns. So entirely possible that he takes it. The final pick of the night. Wait, 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 wait. I mean, it really comes out of this. Chikadze, I don't think, hasn't hasn't figured out how to perform in a messy fight. And I UFC fights are going to get messy. Yeah, yeah. he had a messy fight uh, in his last outing, but it was against a much smaller man who's not really super high level and you know who took the fight on a couple days' notice. But but I'm there with you, definitely. When he's in full control, a little messy is not the worst thing, but outside of that, it's it's harder. Um, in the top Reese versus KB Bular matchup, the, the way it works, guys, we each have six picks now, and uh, this is going to be the tiebreaker. I'm going to pick Tom Breeze in this one. I couldn't find recent footage on Bular, but the footage that I did see shows a tall guy who likes top position 
possession, not particularly fast or explosive. I'm sure he's made improvements since then, but I'm going with Breeze if only because I know he has high-level skills. He's mentally not a strong fighter, and he's struggled with anxiety issues leading up to bouts, but I'm not sure that Bular would be one of his scariest opponents at only 7-0. So I'm going with Breeze. I think he should have some confidence going into this matchup, and and I'm hoping that he actually shows up and, and isn't pulled last minute like he has in the past. Nikolai, that will do it for our picks. I'm quickly going to run them down. My first pick was Aspinall. Second, I had Ulambekov. Third, I picked Impa Kasagawe. Fourth, Tracy Cortez. Fifth, Tony Kelly. Sixth, Yusuf Zalal. And my last, uh, my tiebreaker was Tom Breeze. Your picks were first, you took Big Ben Rothwell. Second, Edson Barboza. Third, you took Marlon Marais. Your fourth pick was Rodrigo Nascimento. Uh, and your fifth pick was Dricus Duplessis. Your sixth pick was Giga Jagadze. Nikolai, another good uh, one. Whoa, in the books. whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, I'm sorry. It was Omar, Omar Morales. Mar- I, Omar I apologize. Morales. Omar Morales was your last pick. Another good one in the books. Nikolai, I am guaranteeing victory, Nick. Next week, I shall boast really? about how good it feels to have 15 wins to your 10. I can't wait. You didn't even you didn't even really disagree with any of my picks. No, Maybe but one. no, but I I feel like I prioritize better on this event than you yeah, did. You felt that a couple times. You you felt that a couple times recently, and it hasn't gone so well. Are we you. placing another bet, Nick? You owe me a hundred dollar dinner. Should we add to this? Should we do this, Nick? Do I? Yeah. I, oh. Are we doing this? I'm gonna. I'm instead. I'm. I'm gonna send you ten ten dollar dinners. I don't want ten ten dollar <laughs> dinners. I want. <laughs> A big, wonderful meal. We're going to wait post-COVID, Nick. We'll, we'll do whatever it takes. Okay, fine. Um, all right, yeah. Do we want to place another bet on top of this? Well, I think I've got I think I've got you this week. So I'm, ha- I'm happy to do it. What's the wager? A double or nothing? Is that double or nothing? But is that $200 all for your food? Or does it is that for like, us to share food? I assume that's the meal. And then I guess we'll split the rest. Jeez. Okay, so two. Okay, got it. Total meal. All right, deal. Double or nothing. All right, all right, Nikolai. Let's do this shit. Um, another good one in the books, buddy. I expect to whoop that ass, and uh, we're gonna get into the betting recommendations next. Thanks, buddy. Have a good week. You too. Welcome back, and in this segment, we're going to get into the MMA Geeks betting guide. Last week was another great week for me. Five of the six fighters that I recommended bets on picked up definitive wins. The one loss was on Court McGee against Carlos Condit, and Carlos Condit just was doing everything right. Court was doing everything wrong. I'll take that minor loss uh, to pick up all of those profits. I won on Luke Bume, Jermaine Durandamy, Nasardin and Mavov, and the Casey Kenny and Todorovic parlay came through as well. $170 in profit. 66% return on investment. So last week we were at $767. We're at $937 after starting at 300 bucks six weeks ago. I am very proud of that. If you would have started with $1,000 several weeks ago, you would have been at over three grand now. Tell me which hedge fund will get you that kind of return on investment. Now let's get into this week's betting. I've got a couple of prop bets, a straight bet, and a couple of parlays. And I'm actually going to hedge a couple of these bets as well. I'll explain it in a moment. First, I recommend a bet on Tracy Cortez by decision at plus 110. 
I feel like Cortez tends to win fights by decision. She kind of tires as a fight wears on as well. So does her opponent in this case. So I think it's likely that this one will be grinded out by Tracy Cortez. She's not really much of a finisher against decent opposition. And I think she's facing somebody at least able to survive to the scorecards. Then we have Yusuf Zalal by decision, plus 160, $31 to win 50. He's actually facing a finisher, a pretty tough opponent. Yusuf doesn't tend to finish his fights. He's 3-0 in the UFC, and all three have gone to decision. I expect that it'll be the case here. I feel like it's minimal risk for a pretty decent profit, $31 to win 50 on Yusuf Zalal by decision. And then I recommend a straight bet on Sanhagen at minus 130, $65 to win 50 on his fight over Marais. I feel like Sanhagen's pressures and length are going to be big issues for Marais as long as Sanhagen can make it through about seven or so minutes. On top of that, I recommend two parlays. First parlay is Rodrigo Nascimento and Impa Kasanganai. You get basically even odds for those two combined, $51 to win 50. Considering they're both around minus 250 favorites, I think those odds are pretty fair. And I'm going to recommend a hedge because I do think that Dukas can knock out Rodrigo Nascimento potentially in the first round. And Dukas by KO plus 500, $10 to win 50. So it's a little bit of a hedge. I figure that if uh, Impa wins and Nascimento loses, I'm still going to end up even as long as Dukas picks that win up by knockout. And if both of those guys do come through for me, then I've got a $41 profit for that one. Then I recommend a parlay on Duplessis, who's facing Marcus Perez, and Morales, who's facing Chikadze. $34 to win 60 on those two. I like the odds of both of these guys doing well. I do have some concerns about Duplessis taking this fight on short notice, um, but I just feel like Morales facing someone in Chikaze who's gone to close decision with a couple of guys that are a couple of rungs below Morales. I think this leaves Morales as a good, in a good position to benefit off of that. And I also think if you're considering a bet on Morales, a bet on him by decision might not be a bad idea. So again, Duplessis and Morales, $34 to win 60 on those two, and that'll do it for the betting guide this week, folks. As usual, we're going to quickly discuss what's coming up the week after this Saturday. We got UFC Fight Night Ortega versus Korean Zombie. Obviously, Brian Ortega versus Chan Sung Jung is going to be an interesting, exciting fight, seeing Brian Ortega return after a couple years off, if I remember correctly. Then we've got Jimmy Crute making a comeback. A great women's flyweight fight. Jessica Andrade moving up to face Caitlin Shukagian at 125 pounds. That is fascinating. I did not see that coming. Cyril Gaon is coming back on that one. We've got a fascinating matchup between Claudio Silva and James Krause. I'm looking forward to that one as well. A good test for Claudio Silva against a guy that is really good just about everywhere. Thomas Almeida is coming back against Jonathan Martinez. That should be exciting and I think a pretty decent likelihood of a finish of a knockout. Jillian Robertson is coming back against Poliana Botelho. Godzimar Antugulov is coming up against Maxim Grishin and Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Mark Striegel. Look, I mean, it's not a great card, if we're going to be honest. There were some better fights on this card originally. We had Makomed Mustafaev versus Renato Moicano, which was a great matchup. Shamilo Bedorhimov was the guy that was supposed to fight Cyril Gaon, and that would have been fascinating as well. David Zawada would have been on the card. Volkan Ozdemir versus Nikita Krylov was originally scheduled for this one, but obviously it did not pan out. So, again, not a great card left over, but we do have something really, really good to look forward to this weekend in the card that we already broke down for you. Looking forward to talking with you guys about it next week. Thanks for listening.